Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. How are we doing? I don't, know if, I don't know if they even said this. They probably did, but if they didn't, I'm going to have you do it. Turn to your neighbor and tell them Merry Christmas because we like to be relational. Say hi to your neighbor. Act like you like them, even if you don't. Here's what I'm guessing about you that, is, that I can relate with as well. You probably have some traditions around this day, Christmas Eve or Christmas, in your family. Maybe you grew up with them or you created them for your family now. Um, I grew up with them, and some of those we incorporate today with our family. Like one of them is, uh, I remember on Christmas Eve, we always would eat this, this, the same thing. It would be, uh, we would make oyster stew and chili, Right? Who, uh, between those, who would pick the chili? Just raise your hand. I'm going to see. Yeah, a lot of chili. Who would say oyster stew? Okay, yeah. I, sometimes I got crazy, and I would just eat a bowl of both. I, it was wild. So, but I, we always had chili and oyster stew. We would eat together, and then on Christmas Eve, we would have a tradition where the kids would get open in one present, like one gift on Christmas Eve. And uh, there was a lot of pressure with that because you want to open a good one. Right? I remember one year, my, my siblings are playing with what they open, great toys and gifts and games, and I think I pick a, picked a package of underwear. I'm like, seriously? I mean, my mom's like, try them on, sweetie. I'm like, no, no, don't talk to me right now. It's just terrible. But after we picked the gift, or after we opened our present, we would go to church. Or I grew up Catholic, we, we would call it mass. So we would go to a late service, and then we'd come home, and we would go to sleep. The kids would try to get to sleep, sleep for a few hours, wake up on Christmas morning. And then we'd open more gifts and have fun together, and it was great. Um, when I was really young, I, I'm the youngest of six. And when, I'm, when I was really young, I don't have a ton of memories, probably like you don't either. But I, I found a picture that, that, that shows you Christmas at our house. And this is a picture of me and my brother. This is my older brother. I was the youngest. And uh, I, here's what I'm guessing. I'm guessing he's training me to survive four sisters. That's what I'm guessing. That's just, Monty, you're going to need to learn. Okay? What he should have taught me was hair pulling because that was what they used. So, but this is a memory uh, that I, I, I look at this, and this is the earliest picture I could find um, of me or of us as a family. And, but I love Christmas. And I just wonder what you see when you, when you think of Christmas for you and your family. Like, like, what do you think about on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? Maybe, maybe it's the twinkle in your kid's eye. Maybe you think about a Christmas tree. Or like this next picture, you think about the Christmas lights in the neighborhood or in the community. You think of that. For others, it might be something else when you experience Christmas. You might be thinking about the stress and the bills and the cooking and the cleaning and the traveling and the family get-togethers at the in-laws or some of you might say the outlaws, right? So what, are, what do you think about? For others, it might be a little even more somber. It could be a time of loneliness, and that's what you see. Depression. Maybe your kids spending Christmas with you and then having a different Christmas somewhere else. Or, or for some of you, it might even be experiencing or feeling the loss of somebody this past year. And this would be the first Christmas that you would spend without them. Regardless of what you see or think about on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, God has something for you today. God wants to bring you today a message of hope. And this message is wrapped around miracles. If you're new, again, welcome home. We're super excited that you're here if you're new, we've been in a series this Christmas called The Miracles of Christmas. And there's a lot of them around this holy day. And 
There's a common denominator in every one of the miracles. A certain somebody that saw every miracle of Christmas. Let me recap, if you've missed it or you're new today, I'm gonna give you a couple verses from each week of the miracle that we looked at and see if you could find this common denominator. I I bet you can. One week we looked at the virgin birth of Mary. Mary was a virgin when she had Jesus. That is a miracle. And in Luke 1.30 it says, the angel says to Mary, don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You'll name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign, Mary, over Israel forever. In fact, his kingdom will never end. The virgin birth of Mary is a miracle. We looked at the miracle of a A star that would start and stop, turn on and shut off. They normally don't do that, but this particular star, this supernatural star did. Just listen to a verse from there. Matthew 2.13. The wise men, by the way, the wise men were the ones following that star to Jesus, to Bethlehem. Matthew 2.13. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. The angel said, get up, Joseph, flee to Egypt with the child and with Mary. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod, the the current king, is going to search for the child to try to kill him. Another miracle that we looked at was a life-changing encounter that the shepherds would experience on a field. It was just a regular night for them, tending the sheep. They had no idea it was a silent night or a special night. It was just another day at work or another night at work. And this happens in Luke 2, starting in verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Just picture this scene. And they were terrified. But the angel said, don't be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy. For all people. I love that. All people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You're going to find him. The baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And then a a heavenly host of a bunch of angels joined together. It says, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with that angel, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth with whom God is well pleased. What was the common denominator? Who saw all those miracles? Did you catch it? Angels. Yes. One of you is listening and that's a good thing. So Angels, these messengers of hope, were, were present in every one of the miracles that we, that we covered in Christmas. What if I told you this? Angels have been around since the beginning. Little theology for us. Angels, they were there at creation. We know this because when God one time was having a conversation with a guy named Job, who was going through a horrific trial in his life, God said this in, in, in Job 38. He said, Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? 
And all the angels shouted for joy. These angels, they're, they're seeing all this take place. They saw creation. They saw God from the dust form Adam. They, they would witness God create Eve from Adam. They would see the, the garden and the fall, as we call it, or the sin happen in the garden, Adam and Eve. They would, they would see it, and we all, I always say, Adam and Eve in a perfect place. Think about it. They had, what, they have no bills, no needs, no clothes. Why would they screw it up? But they did. They messed it up, and the angels would witness it. They would see it all go down. Here's the thing about Adam and Eve, and you're going to relate to this. Their goal when they ate the fruit, it wasn't to bring sin into the world. It, their goal wasn't like, let's bring destruction into the world. Let's, let's bring death into the world. They didn't say to each other, you know what, you know what I, would be good today? Let's separate ourselves from our loving creator. That was never the plan. But that's exactly what happened. Think of your life right now. Some of you, you can relate to that, that, those words. This was never the plan. This was never how it was supposed to go down. But yet here we are. My, there's a lot of new people here. Um, my history, I had a, a drug addiction and lived a, really a double life for many years. Um, that was never the plan. Like I'm telling you, when I was in Salem, South Dakota, at Salem High School, when I was a senior, my guidance counselor, Mr. Van Overshield, when he called me in his office and he said, Monty, you're a senior. What are you thinking? College? trade school, just join the workforce right away. Here's what I didn't say. You know, Mr. Van Overshield, I'm thinking drugs. Yeah, I'm thinking I might choose the path of uh, like a horrible drug addiction that would ruin me maybe and those around me, destroy lives. And uh, yeah, I think, I think that's the path I'm going to take. Yeah, I know. No, I did not think that. I did not want that and nor did I plan that. What about you? Is it addiction maybe when you or someone that you know? Maybe a divorce that you've gone through. That was never the plan. Maybe it's, maybe it's a strained relationship with your family, with your kids or even your parents. You never planned that. You never wanted that, but maybe that's where you find yourself. Maybe it's a career that you would never choose, but you're, you're working it. Maybe it's a job that you love, but you lost it. This was never the plan. This was never the plan for, for God's people. God, here's the good news for you and for me and, and for mankind. God has a new plan. See, the reality is for, for the Israelites or for, the, for, God's, for mankind, God had a plan. And I want to have some fun with this. I want to kind of reenact what the angels may have seen or how they would experience some of what was happening in the world. And I picture, we don't know a lot of their names. We know that there was an angel named Gabriel and we know there was an angel named Michael. So let's just, we'll just use those for fun. But pretend they're watching. And they're seeing the fall. And they're seeing the separation from God. And, and they're watching now God's chosen people, the Israelites, which is a lot of what the Old Testament is about. They're watching their plight. God wants freedom for them. God wants life for them. God has chosen the Jewish nation to be an example to other nations of how to love God and love others. So Michael and Gabriel are like hanging out and they're watching and they're like, man, this is crazy. This is not good. Gabriel, check it out. The, the Israelites, they're in slavery. And they've been in slavery for like hundreds of years. And they're thinking, this is not 
good. This, this is, what is God going to do about this? And all of a sudden, Michael's like, Gabriel, check it out. Check out, check out God. He's speaking to Moses through a burning bush. Dude, that is so lit. Like, literally, it's lit. So, so they're seeing that, and they're like, wow, this is crazy. And then Gabriel's like, oh, dude, check it out, the Red Sea. Seriously, it's like splitting. This is so, God is freeing his people. Pass me the popcorn. This is so good. God is freeing his people. And they keep looking, and they're watching the Israelites travel and hopefully get to the promised land, but they keep seeing the Israelites screw up. And I'm sure they're thinking, why do they keep making this, these, these decisions? Why do they keep thinking they know what is right? Why do they keep choosing their own way? But look at God, Gabriel. He doesn't give up on them. He keeps chasing them. He keeps pursuing them. What is he doing? What is his plan? There's another question you might be asking right now. God, what is your plan? Like, I don't get it. My life in areas don't make sense. And I always like to remind us, just because it doesn't make sense to you doesn't mean it doesn't make sense to God. Know that and trust this. I know this from experience, learning the hard way most of the time. God's plans are always better than our plans. God's plans are always better. And many times, they don't make sense in the moment. What they're seeing doesn't make sense. They're seeing kings come in and judges come in. And many of the kings are evil. And there's wars and there's death and there's destruction. And the angels, Michael and Gabriel, are like, man, again, God must have a plan. But what is it? And then one day, one day, I picture, we'll say Gabriel. And he's like, Oh my gosh, I got, I got it. I got Michael, come here, come here. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Look, I got it. I, I, I think I figured it out. And Michael's like, what do you mean? Like how I can become a real boy? No, Michael, no. The, how God is going to save mankind. That's what I have figured out. And he says, look what God just told this prophet Isaiah. And they look at it together and they're listening and in Isaiah 9, 6, they, they hear this. For, the, for a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And Michael's like, okay, I don't, I don't, I'm not tracking. Gabriel's like, Michael, don't, you, you know... The, 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 the sacrifices in the Old Testament. You know that the, the wages for sin is death. Yeah, yeah, I get it. You remember all the sheep they had to kill every year to cover their sins, the Israelites? They don't have to do it anymore. The, his son, Michael, his son is the answer. God is giving his son as the sacrifice, the, the, the perfect sacrifice, not just for some people, but for all people. And they lean in. It's his son. God has a new plan. As they continue the conversation, I picture the angels. Actually, I picture what they said. Let's go back to Luke and pause for a second. Do you remember the last thing the angel said in Luke when, to the shepherds in the field? The last thing is key when it comes to Jesus. And what comes to his plan for our lives. I'll, I'll, I'll show you what it was in case you don't remember. 
I just need to find it. Here we go. Luke 2.14. Remember when all the heavenly hosts joined the angel? And they, this is the last thing they announced before they left. And then the shepherds went to go see Jesus. Here's what it was. Glory to God, Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest heaven. And peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Think about that for a second. That's so, that seems like a strange closing statement. Because it tells me that there are some people God is pleased with, which means there are some people he's not pleased with. And the angels closed with that. So it must be a big deal. So I, I immediately think, well, how, what, what, is it, what do you mean? How do we please God? How do we, what are we supposed to do to please God? Well, if you look at scripture, there's one time, well, multiple times, but in one time that God spoke literally from heaven, it was when Jesus got baptized. I'll, I'll read you the scripture so you can see it firsthand. In Matthew 3, 17, Jesus is baptized, gets down in the Jordan River. John the Baptist, his cousin, is baptizing him. He comes up. And it says, glory to God, excuse me, Matthew 3, 17. Suddenly, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, in whom I am what? Pleased. So Jesus is the key. Jesus is, Jesus pleased the Father. So the key, right, that would tell me the key is to be like Jesus. The key is to live like Jesus. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, but wasn't Jesus perfect? Didn't he live a perfect life? That's where the problem is. I mean, I don't know how you've done this last week living your perfect life, but I've struggled a little bit, and I'm your pastor. So I'll just tell you, here's how righteous I was this week, okay? You know how you probably have these, or you know someone who does. You have garbage cans outside your home, big bins, right? You got one that's for trash, and then you got another one that's for what? Recycling. You, you get this. So this time of year, this isn't going to surprise you. Boxes come to your house. You order stuff. You get gifts for people. So the boxes start to add up. So Thursday is trash day at the Gannon house, and I grab these boxes, and I'm like, it's, it's, it's nighttime, and I go out there. I'm like, oh, I'll put these in the recyclable. I open up the recyclable bin. Full. Full. Now. Could I have removed some of those boxes and broken them down? Yes. But it was cold out. So, um, so I decided a better plan would be to kind of check the perimeter. It's dark. It's cold. No one's around. It's look clear. So I open the trash and I just shove those boxes down in the trash and hide them real good. And, and, and here's what's really bad. Here's the worst part of it all. I kind of liked it. Okay? You got to pray for me. I mean, I kind of enjoyed it. So that's how righteous I can be. That's terrible. I know you're like, wow, this guy's mad. This guy's evil. Well, yeah. So um, I, we, we're not righteous and we know it. We're not perfect and we know it. So how do we please God? Here's the key. You don't have to live a perfect life. You just have to know the one who is. You don't have to live a perfect life. You just need to know the one who is. That one is Jesus. Now, understand something. When, when, when we say no, it's a very personal thing. Because some of you might be thinking, but I believe in Jesus. But I, do you know him? I grew up, I believed in Jesus all my life. Never doubted Jesus. Never doubted the miracles. Never doubted, the, never doubted any of it. I would tell you for much of my life, I didn't know him. I knew of him, but I, I believed in him, but I certainly didn't. I, I like to say it this way. 
I had, a, I had a head knowledge of Jesus. There was no heart relationship. Do, do you know him? Do you truly know him? You might be thinking, you know, pastor, I get what you're saying. It's Christmas Eve, and, but, but the whole religion thing isn't for me. Like, I'm just here because this is what the family does on Christmas, and I'm making grandma happy, and, but, but I'm not into religion. Well, here's the thing. Contrary to what many people believe, Jesus wasn't into religion either. Not the religion that you might think about. Because here's the reality. Jesus, the people that Jesus had the biggest problem with were the religious people. That's who he had contention with. I'm telling you, here's the reality. God didn't send Jesus in the world to make you religious. He sent Jesus into the world to show you the love of the Father. And I'm telling you, when you experience that love, it will change you. It will move you. It will go from here to here. Oh, the love of the Father. It's, that's what Jesus does. Oh, to show you the love of God and that it would change you. And that it would move you into a heart relationship. Back to the story of Michael and Gabriel viewing what's happening. They would view Jesus being born, but the story didn't end there for the angels and what they would witness. They would watch Jesus grow up. They would watch him be baptized like we read about. They would watch him after he was baptized be led into a wilderness, into the desert, where he would fast and be challenged by the devil three times to give into temptation. The angels watched that. They watched Jesus be depleted. You're like, Jesus depleted? Yes. He's fully God, but he was fully human, susceptible to all the things that we are susceptible to. And the reason that we know the angels were in on that is because it says, after Jesus rebuked the devil and put him in his place, in Matthew 4.11, the devil went away and the angels would come and take care of Jesus. The angels are on the scene again. It, it's, it, so after Jesus is baptized, he's tempted in the desert, his true ministry would begin. And for the next three years, Jesus would raise up leaders. He would call disciples to follow him. Jesus would do what only Jesus can do, right? Healing people, feeding people, helping people, teaching people, loving people, forgiving people. This is a new way they've never seen it before. And Jesus finally completes his ministry, well, almost, and then it finally is time to accomplish the whole reason he was born in the first place. And the angels are watching the scene. And they're seeing, they're seeing Jesus in a garden. Remember they saw Adam and Eve in a garden? Messing it up. Now they see, they see Jesus. They know that Jesus is the plan. And they're watching Jesus suffering in the garden. Praying in the garden. Hurting. I, I just picture Gabriel like, Michael, you got to go. You got to help him. He needs us again. We got to strengthen him. He is, I've never seen him struggle like this. I've never seen him hurt like this. I've never seen him, I've never seen him like this. Go. And Michael goes and he meets Jesus in the garden. And the word of God says in Luke 22, then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened Jesus. Jesus prayed more fervently. He was in such agony of spirit that his sweat would fall to the ground like great drops of blood you might be thinking what is going on how is he in such torment jesus he, because jesus knows his next step 
will be his last this side of heaven. He knows that the plan that God put into, orchestrated into place was unfolding and it was close. He knew his next step was from a garden to a cross. And the angels would have seen that too. They would have seen him get nailed to a cross and, and, and slowly, painfully suffocate, bleed, and die. Can you imagine that? I'm like all the angels in heaven. And here's the thing, as much as they want to go and, and come to the rescue like they did in the desert, like they did in the garden to strengthen Jesus, to help Jesus, they knew that this time it was different. And they would have to watch they would have to see Jesus gasping, praying to God, forgiving the people, forgiving the people that did it to him. Only Jesus, I tell you. And they would watch it. And they'd watch him for six hours hang there as people would yell at him and ridicule him and mock him. And they would watch him breathe his last breath at 3 p.m. They'd watch him suffocate enough, say the words, it is finished, and as desperately as Michael and Gabriel want to go there and help, they know that this one's on Jesus. There is no help. Even God the Father would have to turn his back during the moment when Jesus would take all the sin. I can't imagine what happened. I can't imagine what the angels are thinking. I mean, people lost hope in that moment. You need to understand. Well, but Jesus said he was going to rise from the dead. I'm telling you. Everybody thought Jesus was going to stay dead. No. The angels would witness Jesus' body get taken off the cross and laid into a tomb. They would have seen it. And in that moment, all hope was gone. If there was a plan, God, I'm not seeing it. All I see is death and darkness in my life. All I see is destruction and hurt. That's all they saw. And then three days later, this is what the word of God. <laughs> Actually, I picture it this way. Three days later, Michael and Gabriel. And Michael's like, Gabriel, get up. Dude, get up. This is it. Today is here. It has finally come. This is the plan. This is what God is doing. Gabriel, you're up. Get going. Get down there. You're on, dude. And Gabriel says, I'm on it. And he goes down to the tomb. And in Matthew 28, verse 2, Behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord, there it is, descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat right on it. His countenance, just picture this, his countenance was like lightning. His clothing is white as snow. The guards by the tomb, they, they shook in fear. They became like dead men. They were freaked out. But the angel answered and said to the woman that came to the tomb that day, they were going to anoint a dead body because that's what you do with a dead body. And the angel says to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Here's the reality. 
I may not know you or even know your exact story, but I know this today. Today, the tomb is empty. And what that means is peace is available for you today. Hope is available for you today. Salvation is available for you today. Why? Because Jesus Christ is alive today. You can shout louder than that, church. That's the best news you're ever going to get. And it'll, it'll never get that good again. Jesus. Yesterday, I'm reading Romans. I mean, our discipleship groups are called purpose groups, and it's four people, and we read a chapter a day, and it just so happens yesterday was Romans 3. The Lord's timing is pretty impeccable. I'm reading it, and I get to Romans 22. And I never heard the Lord audibly really speak, but you, you can sense it. And he's like, that's it. You share that with them. Share that with a church where it's okay to not be okay. Share that with a church where you don't have to get all cleaned up to come to church. You come to church and let Christ clean you up. So, let me share with you Romans 3.22. You can't be perfect enough and you can't be good enough and you can't be righteous enough. To please God. You can't do it. But listen to this. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone. Say everyone. Everyone who believes. And I love this last part. No matter who we are. Regardless of where you've been. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you're currently doing. This is for you. You don't have to be perfect. You just got to know the one who is. Surrender to the one who is. This is the gospel. If it just stopped at Christmas and the baby, you and I would still have no hope. But the plan all along was to get the perfect baby to live a perfect life and die a perfect death so you don't have to. So you can live for God and you can enjoy God and you can be with God. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people do. People that surrender their life to Christ by faith. Believing that Jesus is the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. That he is the Savior of the world. And that when you surrender to him, that when you, you believe in him and you call on his name, the Bible says, you call on his name. Ask his Holy Spirit to enter into you and make you new. He'll do it. Ask him to forgive your sins. He'll do it. It can happen like that. Do you know how many people believe, I've got to earn my way. I've got to be good enough. You'll never be good enough, and neither will I. Jesus did it. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to know the one who is. And by the way, as we say all the time at Meadows, understand something. Your Christmases are running out. You have one less than you've had last year. And they'll keep running out. This world is not our home. This little red tape, that represents our life. Everything before it, history, everything after it, eternity. This world is not your home. And, and if you leave with nothing else, leave understanding that the brevity of life, understanding that Jesus is going to come back and he will judge, he'll look at what you did, and we'll, you'll have a, an account of that. But here's the thing, 
And, and it's not going to be good, by the way. Monty, you're pretty, you struggle with recycling, don't you? Yes, Jesus, I do. So what do I do? So you know, it's not good. But then he'll look at you and he'll say, I see my son in you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. But Jesus, my list of all the things I've done that ba- are so bad, I mean, it's never ending. I'm not a good person. I, I understand. My son is. And you surrender to him. So I see him, not you. Again, enter into salvation. Understand this. The first time Jesus came, only a few people in Bethlehem knew about it. The next time Jesus comes, every tribe, every tongue, every nation will know about it. The first time that Jesus came, a few wise men bowed before him. The next time Christ comes, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I want him to be your Lord personally, that you know him. I want to invite my family just to come up to just say Merry Christmas to you. Mom, I want you to come up too, if you would. We get it for my mom. If you want to know where I got my foundation for Jesus, she would be it. So I talk about my family a lot, and they're like, Dad, am I in the message? So I tell them when they are. and <laughs> Right, Jake? My 16-year-old, Jake. Yeah, I love you, Jake. My 18-year-old, Ava. My beautiful mom. Merry Christmas. And of course... This church wouldn't exist without Jody, so. I probably don't speak of them enough. Okay, I didn't plan for this, but. Leading a church is the most amazing thing, I, I mean, uh, you know, that God would call me and God has great plans for you. But what my family go through, you know, it's, it's a sacrifice because of what I'm called to do. It impacts them, of course. So I'm just so grateful for you, Jody, kids, mom, everybody. We're in this together. And sometimes I'm sure you feel like the pressures that I feel. But I just love you so much. And I'm so grateful for you. And uh, so I guess what I'm saying is from us to you, we love you. We pray this Christmas you are blessed in ways. Our biggest prayer is that you would know Christ because Christmases will run out and this world will end probably sooner than we ever anticipate. But this world is not your home. I know my family knows the Lord. I know that I get to spend forever with them. People won't and don't. Most people don't. But because we love the Lord and because we've surrendered to him, we get to spend forever together. I want that for you. We want to see you. So from us to you, Merry Christmas, God bless you, and can we just give God one more praise, one more shout, one more. He is so good. I'm going to pray for us. Thank you. Thank you. You can just stay up here. Do we have a closing song? Okay. I I should know that. I'm the pastor. So I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to worship together. I hope you'll pray with us, eat cinnamon rolls hot chocolate, enjoy, enjoy this moment. It's a beautiful day.
God's on, Jesus, God's on the throne and Jesus sits next to him. Father, we thank you so much. We are in awe of your plan. What the angels witnessed and saw, oh my gosh, you talk about a roller coaster of a ride, but isn't that life? I believe everybody in this room can relate to the roller coaster, to the highs that we get when life is going good and the tremendous lows that we feel when things aren't going as we planned. We're learning something today, God, that behind the scenes, you're working and moving. Behind the scenes, regardless how it looks to us, you're moving. God, I pray for families. I pray for those who are hurting and suffering. I pray for those who are depressed and lonely. Draw them in by the power of the Holy Spirit. With you, we are never alone. God, for families that will celebrate Christmas, maybe they've celebrated all year, and it's about the family, and it's about the presents, and, th and that's not a bad thing, and the food. But I, I, I truly want it to be about a heart relationship with Jesus because I understand at the end of the day that it's all that matters. We can never be good enough to please you. Your son, oh, you, you are very well pleased with him. So if, that, if his Holy Spirit is in us, well, then we look pretty good to you. We'll take that, God. I pray that people will surrender their life to you today, that they will call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, ask you to come in to them, ask, ask for forgiveness. That it happens today, God, that you do what only you can do. We love you. We thank you for your plan to save your messed up people like us. Have your way today. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church says, amen. Hey, I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. But don't stop there. Like or subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single video, update, or message. And not only that, share this message with a friend or somebody that you know. So many people out there need hope and encouragement, and you have the ability to bring that to them. Finally, if you're in the Omaha area, we would love to have you join us. We would love to meet you. God bless you.